Welcome everybody to another podcast of Women in Family Law. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Adrian Jones, who is a Managing Director and Senior Wealth Advisor at UBS, and Emma Wheeler, who is, is a Director responsible for Female Client Strategy. We're going to be talking about their careers, how they've got to where they've got to, and what their view of the world is post-COVID-19. Um, it's great to have both Adrian and Emma here because UBS are our major sponsors and so fabulous to be connected with them. And we'll hear a bit more about that from Emma later on. But starting first of all with Adrian. Adrian, I just wondered, how did you get to where you are in your career? Hi Suzanne, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for asking me. I'm delighted to join your uh, your podcast. Uh, and that's a big question to start with, isn't it? Goodness, 31 years I think now I've been in the uh, in the industry. And to be honest, I, I I really fell into it by accident, if I'm honest. I always had intentions of going to uh, the BBC or the ITV or one of the the big TV broadcasters, because that's certainly how I um, organised all my exams at the at the time to be electronics and physics based and all these other more technical exams. Um, goodness, when I was only 16, I, GCSEs were all very much geared towards that career. But having been tested uh, as being colourblind, believe it or not, at 16 by the BBC, that meant that that door was closed. So I thought, oh goodness, I really don't want to go back into um, education at the time. I wanted to earn some money. So I thought, what will I do? I'll, I'll go and join the bank for a couple of years and see how I get on and decide what I want to do. And to be honest, that was that was the first step, actually, You know, from, from 16 at the local branch through to where I am now and enjoying um, working at, at UBS 31 years later. But uh, that's how I fell into into the business. But I think why I, why I decided to stick around is because I actually worked out, I actually really started to very much enjoy at a very young age the uh, the client interaction. Um, I've always very much enjoyed spending time with clients and working out what they what they want to achieve and what they want to do uh, with their lives generally and how how the, the the fascination of seeing them interacting with their with their children and giving them advice along the way. Um, so the journey I took from early days just of the local NatWest office was was quickly changed after being able to be very lucky to, to get onto different development programs to join the Coots business. So I've, I've had many roles at Coots over a, a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, and that was that was from commercial banking into um, really actually then joining into the media world, working with recording and music and publishing businesses before then joining the more private client side of things in the sports entertainment world. And that was in the early 2000s. I started working with high profile clients and talent before then moving over to the private office and dealing with uh, the higher end of the wealth spectrum, not just in the sports and media world, but also working more with entrepreneurs. And that took me then, the journey then was, the, the, was, was then moved on from um, just dealing with UK clients. I built a bridge of, of, of advice from UK to work with Channel Islands based both clients and advisors, so trustees and family offices and the like, that, that actually ended up with me living there for a couple of years. So I was very fortunate to, to, to live and work out of Jersey for a couple of years before coming back a couple of years ago uh, when I decided, well, I think, yeah, 30 years with Coots is just about enough. Very proud of what I achieved there. But I thought, well, okay, where can I, where can I excel and learn new things, if you like, in terms of a much wider proposition uh, that I have now have available to me across many, many different areas um, to help very successful families. And that's where I work now. I represent a wonderful bunch of 
very happy and successful clients who are not just UK based but internationally based and that's um, the platform that Coots gave me was was absolutely invaluable and especially my time working on and offshore was, a, as I say, a great platform to now work with a, a wonderful bunch of clients with a, a very enviable proposition in my back pocket that I can, I can talk about and introduce very specialists to, to clients as I, as I go through um, various conversations with either them, their family offices, or, or people like you, Suzanne, in terms of their key advisors. Wow, quite a journey there, Adrian. I love it. So you've done all sorts of things. And I wonder, therefore, what the pivotal decision-making points have been in your career. Can you point to any specific times, any pivotal times? That's, yeah, that's another good question. Thank you. And I think the, well, the key times for me were very much based on wanting to push comfort zones. Um, I've, I've always wanted to think, well, okay, how can I be most successful in each role that I've either been um, performing or thinking, well, okay, how, how can I learn new skills? And clearly we all learn, all, all learn every day. Um, but the key pivotal moments for me were clearly the transition into Coots, the, 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 the UK Coots business, the media and the sports entertainment industry knowledge that I gained across mainly music, Formula One uh, and TV. They're the, they're the key areas as well as some, some other, other industry um, sector knowledge in, in some other areas and then really focusing in then on the, the the higher wealth in both that sector and the correlation that there is with entrepreneurs clearly there's, there's for me a great parallel with with working with private clients who earn a lot of money in a short period of time clearly it's evident if you're a racing driver or if you're a, a, a key talent you might earn a lot of money in a short period of time that needs to last your lifetime and hopefully for future generations and as I say, the parallel with entrepreneurs who will move wealth from um, corporate shareholder ownership into private ownership in terms of pure cash that might be paid to them in a short period of time. And the advice is quite similar in lots of ways. So I think that, that was the key moment for me was really to then focus on giving advice to those highly successful clients, both in the UK and then offshore. And, and um, as, as the wealth grew larger, it was very much recognizing that I needed to join a, a, a well, the large one. UBS is the largest wealth manager in the world to really have access to a much wider proposition, as I mentioned earlier. So I think there's three or four different pivotal moments for me that all, are all based on me wanting to, to push comfort zones and, and learn new skills. So I've always wanted to be a better advisor, and I still do push myself on that across many different areas, and not just the obvious around investments and, and lending and, and deposit taking. These days, much being much more thoughtful around the more emotional side of wealth advice, which means succession planning or giving advice on prenup and um, all those other important areas that, that wealthy families will often often give consideration to. So that's, that's meant that I've wanted to make sure I've, I know who the, the key people are in, the, in terms of the advisor sets around um, private clients that inevitably mean that um, I've had the great pleasure of meeting um, a, a very a, a good number of very successful and, and fantastic advisors, both tax and legal based for, for clients at that top end over certainly over the last 20 or so years. Thanks very much. So you've talked about the more emotive side of wealth planning. And I just wondered, how do you approach that? Can you give us some top tips? Because obviously there's a bit of a sort of a connectivity, a Venn diagram there where there's a crossover between the work you do, the sorts of work that we in women in family law do. So how do you deal with the emotive side? Yeah, I think um, any any client advisor shouldn't just 
really just focus on the obvious in terms of has an investment done well or not and the reasons why why done well or perhaps not compared to um, benchmark performance. I mean, that's, that for me is the, the obvious. If it's a client that's investing or working out perhaps the most efficient way of lending a family money to achieve a new home or, or other or other um, yeah, other objectives that, that, that they might have. Um, I, I do think that, especially these days, um, where there are, there are so many considerations to think through that Often families are, are, are caught unaware, if you like, by, by a, a quite direct question to really just open up a very different dialogue and that, that can often take a conversation down a very different path. So I think it's just a very straightforward question to ask a very successful mum and dad, if you like, is to ask them if, if, if their children know how successful mum and dad have been. I mean, that's such a simple question to ask, but there are, I, I can name several families that, that you'll know of or, or through industry or through through being a profile themselves that it's actually taken them taken us down a very different road to help them make their family the wider family more aware of the overall wealth that, that's in the background and they're creating strategies around it so such a simple question to ask to instill the importance of, of, of what the wealth can bring, whether the, and the power of wealth through lots of different ways, through the philanthropy or, or, or all these different areas that one can, can give consideration to, that can involve the next generation, for example, and the, the role that they will play in the managing of that wealth. Because um, there's often a lot of confusion that the next generation as to all, when there is a realization about the, the amount of, or the extent of wealth that's in the background, the role that they may play. So it's just really just trying to create a strategy and, and, and ultimately some communication because there are families that do that are terribly scared about talking about how successful mum and dad have been, for example, um, to the next generation for fear of things going wrong. So trying to encourage that communication is, is, is for me key in creating some strategy around it. And it will often involve philanthropy as a key area to talk about as a family some of the decision making that needs to be made as to how that money can be put to, to, to good use that can often then involve some more formality around, um, for example, the investment decisions that might be being taken, but as a family, so that mum and dad can pass on the important family values, if you like, as to what that money means to the next generation. So lots of, lots of things there to think about, but as I say, that can actually take you down a very different path and one that can mean being quite commercial about it, a, a very long-standing and very, um, yeah, a, a client that will be with you for a long time. Um, because there's inevitably yeah, a much closer connection uh, because you're talking about things that are very sensitive. Being invited into to join the ki sit around the kitchen table with a family to talk through these things is um, is where I would want to be as a as a as a wealth advisor to be to be trusted a real trusted advisor to talk about these sensitive things with them and being interested, being able to introduce key people from the um, from either yourself, Suzanne, or, or, or colleagues that might be listening to this, is absolutely key to talk through the, the sort of team-based approach to, uh, to, to, to appoint very specialists as and when required to give advice. Yeah, that's really interesting to see the connection between the sort of roles that we have in, in relation to families. And, and just changing tack a bit now, and um, I suppose the question which is on everyone's lips, uh, what's your view of the post-COVID world? What do you think? is going to happen what are clients investing in what what's your thoughts in relation to that another huge question suzanne you've got them you're keeping them coming aren't you this afternoon and um 
I think it's it's crystal ball gazing, isn't it, at the moment, a little bit in terms of how we how we think we'll, you know, what will, what the world will look like going forward. But I think it's, our CIO are very clear. You'll know that, that UBS have a, have a great investment office that's global, and we have one view, one house view. Um, and I think a, a few themes are certainly coming through that that, that are very much resonating with our with our client base. One is that sustainable investing is here to stay. Uh, UBS led the way on, on sustainable investing and have been for 20 years or so, which means that we've created a, a terrific platform for clients now to, to give or to invest in such a way that they know they're investing for good across lots, lots of different um, platforms. So that's been a big change, um, I'd say, over the last few months that we're seeing in terms of clients demand for this type of investing. But in terms of how the world will look, we, we do see much more clearly digital transformation, much increasing number, increasing population growth and urbanization and clearly population getting older. Um, as, and we're building key plans and, and themes of investing around these areas. So um, I'd say that so certainly over the last two, three, four months, um, whilst we've all been living perhaps different lives than we did in the three, four months before that, our clients have had a lot more time to think about these things, not just the more emotional side of wealth thinking and wealth planning, but also thinking about, well, okay, how, how can I invest in such a way that I am doing good at the same time? And these days, and I certainly think it's here to stay, is that the recognition, you know, recognizing that one doesn't need to sacrifice returns by investing for good. You know, I think that that's very, very very much the, the accepted way of investing now, to know that you're, um, you're not sacrificing on, on investment performance by investing in this manner. And as I said, UBS are absolutely leading this way across many different areas to, uh, to give our, our access really to our clients to this, uh, this type of proposition. So it's very exciting, if I'm honest, in terms of thinking through, not just in terms of a discretionary sustainable investment approach, but really thinking through some fantastic funds that we can provide our clients access to, whether that's pure funds or some of the private market opportunities that we're talking to our clients about. There's an oncology fund that we're talking to our clients about at the moment, for example. So lots of different, very relevant um, investment opportunities to be, being based on what will be a very different world um, going forward, where I think we've all seen a great acceleration of online shopping and online deliveries and all those things, as well as the tech um, boom that we've seen certainly over the last or the year to date is I think, think a great reflection of how we all see the world perhaps looking at going, going forward. Wow, lots, lots of things for us to think about there. Thanks so much Adrian for your time today. Really interesting and I'm now just going to turn to Emma who's also at UBS as I said. Um, Emma, how did you get to where you are in your career? Thank you, Suzanne, for inviting me today. Um, yeah, completely different path to Adrian. Um, as you introduced me, I'm responsible for female client strategy at UBS, which is part of a global commitment to better serve our own female clients and also to raise awareness of the increasing ownership of private wealth by women and the need to drive industry change. So really to share financial education for women and encourage them to invest and own their wealth. I feel extremely fortunate to be um, in this position now, but it's, um, it's very much an approach that was conceived uh, back in 2014 when a very innovative group of senior women at UBS, this before I joined, responded to a piece of global research published by the Centre for Talent Innovation, which um, basically said that the majority of women felt that their 
financial advisors didn't care about them or understand them. So, so that's what I'm doing now. Um, but in terms of my background, that's really in strategic communications. So I left London University with a degree in English and classics a long time ago and determined, was determined to be an editor in a publishing house. Um, and was fortunate enough to get a job at Penguin, but realised I couldn't survive in London on an editorial assistance wage, um, which was about £8,000, I think, a year then. Um, and I wasn't prepared to ask my family to uh, support me financially. So um, I then joined Burson Marstella, which was is a global uh, communications consultancy. They called it then the University of PR. Um, and I really found something I, I love doing, combining writing with advising companies, watching them grow as a result of what I was doing. You know, this really appealed to, to my entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and then I moved on to work in-house in some big companies like Avis, um, the car rental brand, a FTSE listed company where I gained investor relations experience, and then to Coots, uh, another private bank. Um, where my interest in the intersection of private wealth and public benefit began, the real purpose of wealth, you know, how the wealthy use their money to do good and have an impact and how important that is um, for the next generation. Um, and then I worked for a series of law firms, either as a consultant or in-house, becoming an industry expert in advising the senior partners of law firms on communication strategies around merging businesses, because at that time the whole market was consolidating, as you all know. Um, and um, then I was invited by one of the firms to be their head of content and thought leadership, Charles Russell Speechley's, you may know them, uh, working Please. with the partner <laughs> to create uh, research um, to share with their clients and uh, other stakeholders uh, you know, for business development purposes. Um, and that was fascinating, you know, how you take, it's a big communications challenge, how you take um, intellectual capital and turn it into something you can have a conversation with a client about. Um, and, you know, it's the same challenge at UBS, but when I was approached um, by UBS, and, uh, you know, for this female client um, strategy role two years ago, I saw that I can really combine, you know, my entrepreneurial passion with a social purpose. And, you know, this is where I've been for two years. And as I said, really loving every minute of it. Feeling very fortunate. So can you tell us why many banks such as UBS have designed a specific female wealth strategy? Why is this important? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's, it's very simple. The whole face of wealth is changing. Women are increasingly owning wealth in the world. They're earning it, inheriting it. Um, they're controlling it through you know, getting divorced or being widowed. Um, the statistics currently 32% of the world's total wealth, private wealth is owned by women. That's growing at 7.1% every year and likely to accelerate dramatically in the next four to five years, despite the pandemic. Um, so that the growth of owned wealth by women will outstrip total global wealth. So we need to support women to own their wealth, manage it and encourage it to be used to create impact in the world. We know that 88% of women who are investing choose to invest in cause-based, you know, values-based funds like, um, you know, Adrian was talking about. So, you know, where you can, you can still achieve good financial returns and do good for the world at the same time. And, you know, I think the other thing that we're really trying to do is, is encouraging women to talk about money in their relationships, um, to take ownership of their wealth, 
you know, to set a good example for, um, you know, their families and their friends. So that's why, that's why the banks are, um, you know, really doing this. But I'm fortunate that, you know, UBS really did start this approach a long time ago. Uh, so it's very well established. And so what do you think the finance, uh, what the finance services industry is doing to make finance more inclusive for women? Um, it is, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the banks are, um, you know, working hard to attract women into the financial services world. Um, you know, I work closely with our global head of diversity and inclusion. You know, I, I see that, you know, how attracting women into financial services is, you know, a key part of, you know, what we're doing um, or what I'm doing, you know, the external piece talking to clients, um, because it's so important that we are seen to be practicing what we preach. And it's the same, you know, with law firms, you know, it's a challenge. Um, and I can only really speak for UBS now, but you know there continues to be innovation and unfailing determination to strive for gender equality in our business. And you know this is equality for men and women. Um, you know to ensure we really unleash the economic opportunity and change the working dynamics for men too. You know using policies like shared parental leave um, for everyone's good. And are there any key initiatives and success stories that spring to mind? Um, there's one that I'm particularly involved with at the moment. Um, and it's the outcome of the Rose Review, which is a, a report that was published last year by Alison Rose. Um, it's a treasury backed initiative and it looked at the 250 billion pound untapped opportunity that is female entrepreneurship in the uk alone um, and the challenges that women are facing um, to actually get funding we know that only one percent of all venture funding goes to business, uh, businesses founded by all female teams and you know we need to change that so um, you know I'm specifically working with an industry advisory board with people from Goldman Sachs, KPMG and others to to really try to um, you know, facilitate access to funding for female-led businesses um, so yeah that's exciting and I see that happening across Europe too the um, European in Investment Bank has just launched a whole report similar approach um, and you know I, I think that you know that's an exciting change and you know we will see more female entrepreneurs in um, this country definitely and across the world I hope. And there's such a sort of um, connectivity between what you're doing in relation to wealth for women and women in family law. I just wondered if you could say a few words about how you became involved with this and also what your hopes and aspirations are in relation to your involvement. Yes, I think that women divorcing women are, are you know, are particularly challenged. In fact, any woman that becomes um, suddenly single, you know, either through through you know, death or divorce, you know, it's it's a particularly poignant time. Um, and we published a piece of research back in 2017 that looked at the five different factors that um, impact a woman's life compared to a man's, the sort of financial penalty of being a woman, woman if you like. Um, you know, the gender pay gap, the fact that the woman's likely to 
work flexibly, take time off to have, um, take time off work to have a child, at least one, that women are, um, you know, living a lot longer than men and um, that they have a lower toler tolerance to risk um, when it comes to, to investing. And it's that bit, the, the um, lower tolerance to risk that really can change. And I think that, um, you know, supporting women with their education, particularly around divorce, and it's, it's not too late, you know, even if you get divorced a bit later in life, to really start, you know, getting some good advice and engaging in finance. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it's, you know, very important. And I think that the women in family law network i see that as key to you know being able to share our um, experience our research our you know financial education and you know making sure that women are, are not as vulnerable as they are, are often um, on divorce um, i mean i think you know having worked with family lawyers myself i know that there are women who often come to you and say you know i don't want to um keep the i don't want i'm not worried about the pension or the investments i just want to keep the house so that i have security for myself and my children um but you know without understanding how wealth is accumulated through um you know the, the man and, and the woman's financial journey and what actually they're missing out on um you know i i think they're they're very exposed i'm sure you see that all the time Absolutely, we do. And we're really grateful to you and Adrian for your help in this venture and your sponsorship via UBS. So thanks for that. Now, a, a couple of questions which are slightly more personal, if I may say. First of all, how do you manage your work-life balance? Um, probably not as well as I should. <laughs> uh, that's not the answer you want, is it? Um, no, it's not. I, okay, I, um, I run. So, you know, I think I, I experienced that this afternoon, didn't <laughs> I, when I phoned you and there was heavy, heavy breathing on the phone. I was quite relieved to hear you were running. <laughs> I just found quite, I suppose when I was about 30, um, I realised that, um, you know, how was I going to manage to keep sane, you know, keeping on working and having small children at that stage? And how could I fit exercise into, you know, my regime, which I have to say is, you know, the one thing that really does keep me sane um and you know running was the thing and i'm still doing that sort of 20 odd years later um and so that i think is you know a great release for me and as i say it keeps me balanced um and you know the great thing about running of course is you, all you need to do is put your trainers on and go outside it's not as though you have to sort of fit in with classes and gyms etc so that um and also i think my kids you know they really keep me sane i mean there's nothing as grounding as you know children <laughs> asking you you know what actually have you achieved in your working day today mum um so yeah i think i think probably those are the two key things and what would you teach your younger self yeah um good question um i think that um understanding that opportunities present themselves to you through your life um and through your career um you know sometimes there's a bit of luck involved but gradually work out what you love doing and this is so important because if you are passionate about what you do for your work it, it just doesn't feel like work um so 
I would, you know, I wish I'd known that. Um, and I did, I did follow my instinct, but I think if, if, you know, if someone offers you a great opportunity, then explore it fully, you know, with a SWOT analysis, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, I've always done that, have courage to try something new. Um, constantly learning from people around you, fundamental. I mean, you know, if you're not learning, don't stay in a place. Um, the other thing is mentors. I've had some amazing mentors through my life. I'm very lucky um, through my career. Um, and I think people really ask people for help. You know, I think don't be afraid to do that. I think a lot of um, people are very, very happy to help younger people. Um, one, one more thing about advice. Yeah, so, so never burn your bridges. Um, you really never know what who you might meet <laughs> or need around the next corner. Um, and then just, you know, for, for all the women listening today, of course, you know, from me, I just urge you to have financial independence, you know, take control of your financial decisions at every stage of your life. Um, talk about money in your relationships and families, learn how to manage your money. It's not rocket science. Um, and uh, you know, look at look, look at our website, ubs.com forward slash women. Look at the module on financial confidence. Um, it helps you to get it's it, it's a starting point. You know, shows you which financial journey you, you need to start going on. And you know, if you're not investing, there are lots of apps out there to help you. So you know, look for the ones that focus on sustainable and impact investing and just you know go for it i wish i'd done it when i was younger there's that wonderful um you know quote by albert einstein about compound interests you know it's the eighth wonder of the world you know if i'd known that as a younger person you know um yeah we can't I, get I'd everything right <laughs> yes we can't get everything right <laughs> I'd like to say a huge thank you uh, this afternoon to Adrian for his brilliant analysis and top tips as a, uh, a wealth advisor and Emma in relation to your work that you're doing for women uh, in the financial strategy. So thanks to both of you and also thanks to UBS for your great sponsorship. We're really so pleased to be involved with you as a company. And uh, that's it. So looking forward to the next podcast. But thank you, Adrian and Emma. Thank you very much. Delighted to be involved. Thank you very much, Suzanne. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.